the word of God is clear. We, we belong to one another. Um, we're not our own. We're bought with a price. And it's the same price, and therefore I have the same value. You are worth the blood of Jesus Christ. I am worth the blood of Jesus Christ, the smallest child and the oldest member of the body. They're worthy of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, not because I think so, but because the Bible says so. This morning, what is it that you've come to react and respond to? What are you expecting from the word that is going to be bought? Let me tell you this. What I say is a good deal less important than what you're prepared to hear from the Spirit of God. Whenever the word is bought, bought it's always bought with, let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I am not the tame groovy with the anointing of God to bring the word. I am amongst brothers and sisters who have been touched by the Spirit of God. And God is speaking directly to you. And when you hear the word, you're able to mix it with faith. Because the purpose of the word is not to bring education, but transformation. When we come into the presence of God and we hear the word, the expectation is not that we go, oh, God preached that, yeah. Eight out of ten, better than last week. My goodness. <laughs> or, you know, uh, I, I, I really did enjoy the word today. Uh, did you? Or did it change you? Because that's what, the word, that's what God's looking for. Or I didn't enjoy the worship. Oh, that's all right. We weren't worshiping you. The reality is, was the Lord pleased with your worship? Because it had nothing to do with the meter and the song choice. It had to do with the heart attitude with which you came and gathered together. I hear sometimes people say that uh, we get out of church what we put into it. No, the, 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 the gathering of God's people is not a slot machine. You don't get out of it what you put in. Because the Lord is present. And therefore, by faith, you're able to get out of it what he puts in. So what heart attitude have you come to, to the word today? Have you come to this leather-bound two kilos of paper and ink? No. You see, Jesus is the living word. But you know who the word made flesh is? That's you. Speaking of Jesus, in John 1 verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But Jesus isn't here anymore. So where is the truth being fleshed out now? Where is the word being fleshed out now in you? But unless we are transformed by the work of the Spirit in response to the promptings of God, 
we will present a very disabled image of the Word of God made flesh. Now, this morning, the, 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 the topic is about our communion meal, in particular, what was going on in Corinth. And basically, you don't have to know too much about what was going in Corinth, except that it was pretty awful, okay? Uh, I will give you some background, but it won't bless you to know too much. Um, they, uh, well, the word to Corinthianize meant to corrupt, uh, and so, you know, it, it was a, uh, the place was pretty spotty and grotty, you know, it was, it was really n not great. Uh, it was a real sinkhole. Um, but I want you to think about this issue of communion and why it is so central and why it is so important, okay? Before we look at the passage, okay? Imagine this room, there's a sheet of the finest silk, and it fills the whole of this floor area. And I pick it up in the middle with a pinch, and I run it through my wedding ring. On the inside of this ring, it says, Shirley, uh, 6th of the 8th, 1977, because that's the date in which I married Shirley. This is a symbol of our love covenant. Now, I'm going to pick the silk up because it represents in its warp and its weft the truths of God. See, many people have a view of truth that comes from Greek culture and from the Enlightenment, that it's serial, that one point stands on the next point, that stands on the next point, and stands on the next point, and stands on the next point, and they think of it in a line. But God's truth is eternal, and it fills the whole of eternity. The scientists tell us that the universe is always expanding. What's it expanding into? It's expanding into what God's done. It's what God's done, expanding into what God's done. And we just know about the universe because it's something we can see. And we pick up the truth of God with all its many fibers worn together, woven together, and we draw it through the covenant of love. That is a description of what it means when we gather together and break bread together. All the covenant truths of history, identity, and destiny are crystallized in a moment in the covenant of love. So for me to speak on the topic, I, I can bark at the print and I can give you, you know, this means, verse means that, and that verse means that. But that's not the issue. The issue is I want you to encounter the truth. And the truth, like the word, is not a concept. It's a person. 
John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth. John 6, 14, rather. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is not a mental concept. It's an indwelling person. So John is able to say, if you abide in me, you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Not if you study the word, then you will know some of the truths and the truth will make you proud of what you know. <laughs> if you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's word. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, and the church in Corinth is in somewhat of a mess. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. And you come together. It's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One of you remains hungry. Another gets drunk. Then you have homes to eat and drink in. Or do you so despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Please be seated. So there's something else in the very last verse. You see, it's not normal for people to begin at the last. Can you see what I'm doing is I'm taking threads and I'm pulling them through this covenant of love that is expressed in communion. I do not have the time this side of eternity to go through every thread. I don't even know what every thread is. The reality is that the more we know, the more we realize we don't know much at all. Uh, I was a teacher, and uh, I used to have an Argus poster, poster on my wall, uh, and it was a picture, I think, of a, a gorilla scratching its backside. Uh, uh, and uh, under it, it said, the more I study, the more I know. The more I know, the more I forget. The more I forget, the less I know, so why study? Um, <laughs> Uh, and uh, obviously, uh, I meant this very lightly, 
but I, I do remember that the Ofsted uh, inspector who came in did actually comment on the existence of the poster in my room. Uh, <laughs> um, but the, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know, okay? Because the truth of God is not by education, but by revelation. Are you ready for the Lord to speak to you? Because you need to go from here different than when you came in. Otherwise, don't bother coming. You see, we're not assembled at the church's invitation. We're not assembled at Freedom's Elders' invitation. We're assembled at the invitation of the Lord. Do you remember what he says to his disciples over communion? He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. Do you realize you're here? Because God earnestly desires to meet with you. What's your attitude to meeting with him? What's my attitude to meeting with him? I think I might have a wash if I was going to see the queen. But here we are by invitation of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Zippity doodah. Don't you love the Lord? This last verse says, the, 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 of the section says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim. It's something that you speak out, either with your mouth or with your life. When we take communion together, we are saying something that is heard in the heavenly realms. We are proclaiming something until he comes. You see, when I, uh, I grew up in the Christian Brethren, uh, and uh, there were certain etiquettes around it. You know, we, when we came to communion, we, we gathered in a big circle around a table in the middle with the bread and wine on, uh, and I'm very happy with that kind of format. Uh, but it was very, very stilted. Um, often in charismatic worship, we don't realize how stilted our worship is. Um, we come and say, you know, we have free worship. Uh, you know, anybody can speak out and pray. Uh, and uh, you know what's going to happen. There's going to be three fast ones to get people moving. Then there's going to be a couple of snow, slow ones. The occasional person or, or, or uh, people... Uh, singing in the spirit uh, and then the same eight people who prayed last week praying this week praying this week uh, very similar things as well uh, and we think we've achieved free worship well in uh, worship's a matter of the heart it's not a matter of our form and the form in the brethren was that, that uh, it, they practiced the priesthood of all male believers and the women weren't allowed to speak uh, and there were a, a set number of uh, appropriate responses to the Word of God, and they were usually grunts. Amen. And nobody went, yes! Hallelujah! Glory to God! Thank you, Jesus! Even when the, the passage absolutely demanded it. Now, I don't know what your history is, 
But it's a good deal less important than your destiny. You see, Christians are not people who are identified with their history, but identified with their destiny. For it does not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as, a, as he is, and our eyes will behold him and no other. Anyone who has this hope purifies himself even as he is pure. It's your motivation to change. Everything in our history divides us, and everything in our destiny unites us. We're all going to the same heaven with the same Lord and the same Savior. Are you ready? Or are you sitting there depending on your history? Oh, well, we used to do it this way. We used to do it that way. God's not interested. Everything in our history divides us and everything in our destiny unites us. I'm going to be like Jesus. Zippity-doodle. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? I'm not there yet. Anybody who's lived close to me already knows that. Okay. But there's something else about our gatherings together, and particularly around communion. We are not just located in geography, we're located in eternity. As I said, the, 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 the kind of, of uh, communions I was used to, it was all back-focused. It, it, was, it was rather a, a depressing time, I felt, as a, as a, as a teenager, because I wasn't allowed, uh, in that situation, unless you were um, adult and baptized and received by the elders as a church member, as a child, you couldn't sit with your family. You had to sit outside the square, which I did, a bit like a court of the Gentiles, for those of you who are familiar with uh, um, the temple format. Um, and uh, even though I was saved and baptized, clearly born again, uh, they didn't let me break bread because I hadn't come into fellowship in, in, in the church. And it was all back-focused. It was all looking back uh, to the sufferings of Jesus. Uh, uh, and uh, there was a guy who regularly used to cry about the physical sufferings of Jesus. And look, there's so much more to the focus. This is located in eternity. We remember, we, present, remember past, the Lord's death until he comes. Future. In this verse, we are not just located in geography. We're located in the eternity and time. This morning, we're in that situation. And whatever's happened this week, you're not going to live that again. So don't waste your time focusing on what's gone. Be front-focused. Because the Lord wants to lead you into your destiny, not into your history. You've already been there. There is nothing in our history that is common except the cross. And that transforms not only our destiny, but our identity right now. Now, Corinth uh, was... Uh, on a place that's hard to say if you've got a lisp. Uh, it, it's in an area that's called an isthmus, okay? Uh, geographically, it's a narrow piece of land between two uh, major land masses. Uh, and it was a great place geographically, rather like um, uh, Chester's in a great place, in that it, it is the lowest bridging point on the D, and it's why the city grew here. 
because uh, this was the uh, lowest point where you could comfortably cross the Dee, because until it was canalized in the 1700s out to Queen's Ferry, uh, it filled the whole width from Flint right across to, to uh, Parkgate. And uh, it, it was like a, 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 a crossing point. Sea trade came in this way, overland and out that way. Land trade came north to south. In their geography, the cross was on the, on the place, okay? And now, he opens the truth to them in Corinth and says it's time for the cross to be on the community. Now, what about this business of a covenant meal? Where's it come from? Well, there's a great history of it in the Word of God. McDonald's may have their, their uh, meal deal, uh, but in the Scriptures we have the deal meal. It's the other way around. Uh, that throughout Scripture, when people cut covenant with God, made covenants with one another, they affirmed that with a coming together in a meal. Okay? Uh, so you can think of maybe... Abraham and God, and God telling him that, that he's, even though he and his wife are, are, are barren, that they're going to have children, they're going to populate, become a great nation, and from them the salvation of Christ will come. Uh, and all of this is happening, uh, and then they have a meal together. Wow! Where else? Well, you can, if you want to go, have a look, I've got a list of people here. Um, Isaac and Abimelech in Genesis 46, Jacob and Laban, David and Abner. Uh, they all make covenants and then it's sealed with a meal, okay? The one that is, we are familiar with is the wedding breakfast, okay? Why is a wedding breakfast after a marriage called a breakfast? Because they fasted before they entered into the covenant of marriage. They didn't go out on a bender, okay? God's plan was not hen parties or stag parties, okay? God's plan was that they spent time with Him before they came together and they fasted. And therefore, once they were married, they broke the fast. That's why it's a break fast. That's why you have a break fast in the morning, because you've not been eating all night, hopefully. Okay? Uh, and, and we're familiar now with this format. Now, let me just say something about the nature uh, of a covenant. Uh, the most common covenant we're, we are familiar with is a testament. Uh, Fred is dead, the will is read, let me tell you what it said. His last will and testament. Okay? And this is a, a special kind of, uh, of covenant. It's a special kind of agreement. It's not like a marriage agreement. Okay? Uh, th this is, this is a, a, a very particular one, a, a, a testament, a will and testament. Incidentally, it's why we have a New Testament and an Old Testament. They're the new and old deals. Okay? One that we approach God through ceremonial uh, law, uh, as exampled in, in, in the Jews, and the other where we come on the basis of, of, of the saving blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. By grace are we saved through faith. By faith we lay hold of God's grace. See, it isn't just grace. No, no. It's by faith that we're able to lay hold of grace. And even that faith doesn't come from us. Scripture reminds us it's a gift of God. 
So what a testament then is like a, a will. So the will is read uh, and uh, I don't know, let's say Cumbalani gets 10,000 in the will uh, and uh, James gets uh, 40,000 uh, and uh, I get the cat. And the lawyer reads the will, and I say, excuse me, I, I don't want that. I want that. And he says, you don't make those rules. You don't make those decisions. It's already in the Testament. You can either accept or reject the bequest, but you cannot change it. You know, people who come to Jesus often then assume that it's a pick and mix thereafter. And they can go along with their toffee bag and say, right, I want, I want three of them licorice torpedo truths, and I'll have a couple of them jelly babies, uh, and then this will be my own personal um, uh, doctrine, my relationship with, with, with Jesus. I'm sorry, walking in covenant, covenant isn't about our pick and mix. You see, when we pick and mix the truths of God, we're exercising our sovereignty over His sovereignty. And it's not going to work. There is one celebrity in the kingdom of God, one alone, and it's the King. If you want to look at another strand of uh, that makes its way into the covenant meal. You might want to look up Melchizedek uh, in Genesis 14, where Abraham breaks bread and drinks wine with him. Incidentally, the breaking of bread and drinking the wine wasn't that they were uh, particularly religious symbols. It was a synonym for what they ate. It, it was simply, uh, it wasn't a, a, a ritual meal as such. Uh, it was a ceiling uh, uh, as a form of meal, okay? Um, if you want to pull another strand that finds its way through this moment uh, of, uh, of communion, uh, you could look maybe at circumcision, where uh, Isaac's most intimate part that's associated with reproducing uh, is cut in a circle, a circular incision, a circumcision, and blood is shed as a ceiling that his reproductivity was given over to God, the whole of his future, because the reproductivity is his future. That's why as an act of worship, Abraham is asked to lay Isaac on the altar because he's offering up that which is most important. He's offering up his future, his future destiny. Do you know, many, many Christians live a wrong life. I remember being told, just at, not, not, not in relation to... to uh, to, to church life, um, but in relation to others, this man said to me, you know, there are three kinds of people, Jeff. Uh, 
there are those who make things happen, there are those who watch things happen, and there are those who wonder whatever it was that just happened. <laughs> Many Christians are living that way because they're retrospectively focused. Oh, I remember when. Not I've set my heart to a future that, that is leading God's way. Set your heart this morning for the destiny that God's called you to. Wow. The shedding of blood with Abraham sealed the covenant. If you, if you want to read the passage, you'll see it's about animals cut in half that they walk in between. Uh, uh, with with um, Isaac uh, uh, and the circumcision, the covenant is sealed with the shedding of blood. When Isaac is, uh, is put on the altar and in his place is sacrificed the lamb crowned with thorns because he's caught in a thorn bush by, by his horns, it's the shedding of blood because without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sins. Do you see the pattern? Throughout Scripture... It's like if you, if you, you were familiar with, with the potato pattern as a kid, you know, when you dumped it in poster paint and it kind of went everywhere, uh, and you went, and it got fainter and fainter. Well, the prophetic images of Scripture are the other way around. It starts off faint, it gets brighter and brighter. Uh, and the psalmist tells us that the path of righteous is like the light of, uh, light of dawn that grows brighter and brighter till full day. So if you're living in darkness at the moment, don't worry about it because the path of the righteous is brighter and brighter till full day, okay? We're designed to go from victory from victory, to, to from glory to glory, okay? Not from glory to defeat to glory to victory to glory. That's not what God's plan. God's plan is that we lay hold of Him by faith and we're on an upward trajectory. Can you see this is another thread that's coming through our communion together? Geographically and economically, um, Corinth is at a crossroads. The shape of the cross was in their geography, in their economy. The shape of the cross was not on their morality. It was all about self, their morality. Even when they worshipped their own gods, it wasn't about what was good for the god. It was about uh, a lot, of, a lot of uh, sex and drunkenness and gluttony and all sorts of other things that that were dishonouring, because it was all about self. And of course, when things go wrong in the church, it's because the focus has got wrong. It's all about self. And we can spiritualize these things in, in, uh, in all kinds of ways. Sometimes uh, I remember in churches I've led, I remember once in Blackpool, somebody saying to me, uh, Jeff, you, you haven't made room for my ministry. I, I have a ministry and you haven't made room for it. I thought, you know, I, I, I think I'm going to go somewhere else. And I said, bye. Fancy you having a ministry. I thought ministry came from God and belonged to God. And it was to be laid at the service of God's people. It wasn't for you to have some kind of personal celebrity. Scripture says that a man's gift and a woman's gift makes room for them. 
It's not a matter of, uh, you know, it's my right. We should have this. We should have that. You brought a completely wrong attitude into the presence of God. And of course, it's your attitude that determines your altitude. For those of you who are anywhere, in any way uh, understand aeronautics, uh, a plane that weighs as much as half this building uh, takes off, okay? It's a mystery, isn't it? Okay? Uh, how does it manage it? It manages it because its wings are tilted, and it's called the attitude of the wings. And when power is applied, the attitude determines the altitude. And once it's airborne, the changing and trimming of those wings actually determines how fly, high it flies. Your attitude determines your altitude. Time is <clears throat> gone very rapidly. I haven't covered a quarter of what's between my ears and what's in my head. But God isn't wanting to reach my head. He's wanting to reach your spirit. Often, and particularly with the two sacraments of Scripture, baptism and communion, we don't get an unpicking in the Scriptures that tells us that breaking the bread is this, and we have to use this kind of goblet, or we have to use this kind of wine, or non-wine, or we have to use this kind of bread, or, or that kind of bread, and it has to be somebody in a long white nighty as, as breaks it and rings a bell, or does whatever. Uh, and it, those kind of, that kind of stuff is not there. Because it was the Greeks who taught in allegory, and that, that they loved the mysticism that every bit of their story meant something. But Jesus didn't teach in allegories, he taught in parables. And a parable is like an arrow. It might have lots of feathers, but it's only got one point. And you'll just drive yourself mad trying to unpick the feathers. You know, I've heard people talk about the, the parable of uh, the Samaritan. Ah, oh, yes, of course, the... Uh, uh, the wine and oil that are poured into the wound, they're, they're the Holy Spirit and, and joy. And um, uh, the four legs of the donkey are, are the four Gospels. And uh, the two coins that are given to the innkeeper, well, they are, um, they are Bible study and prayer. Load of nonsense. The issue that Jesus raised it for is who is my neighbor? That's what it's about. It's about action. And so, once again, with, with, with the covenant, we don't get a, with, with a covenant meal, we don't get a blow-by-blow blow, uh, unwrapping of it anywhere. That's why the variety is so acceptable, because it's not to do with the administration of it, but to do with what the heart attitude gathers from its expression. Now, there are more helpful ways to do it than others. And personally, I'm not sure that having it administered by somebody along with, you know, the vicar's handbags on fire and tinkling bells, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think that's, that's helpful because the scriptural uh, expression of it is very simple. 
You know, if, you had, if it was complex and you had to be really well studied in order to be a communion, only the clever could be spiritual. The Greeks loved allegories because they wanted their mind satisfied. God isn't interested in satisfying your mind but transforming your spirit. Who is it that celebrates after a marriage both parties? It brings together the entire family in one new family. That's what communion's about. Bringing the family of God and the family of man together. And the deal is celebrated with the deal meal. Where did it happen? Oh, well, obviously it happened in church. No, it didn't. Because church wasn't a physical location, it's a people. Is the church a building made of stone and wood? No, it's made of people who know their God is good. Okay? First hundred years, they didn't have any buildings. They met from house to house. So that's where communion happened. And that's where it does today too. Bringing it into buildings introduced a level of formality that was not evident in the Scripture. So who celebrates it? We do. It's not a religious rite that we must observe. It's a celebration of our relationship, our covenant relationship with Him. But please do not mistake the informal for the casual. Let me say that again. It's a problem amongst uh, charismatic churches very often and evangelical churches that we mistake the informal for the casual. The heart of communion is the cross and the cross was not casual. Holy Spirit, we'll just move on us right now, we pray. Lord, we thank you that you're here. We pray that your conviction may rest upon us. Amen. So as they gather together to break bread, they look back to Calvary they looked up to glory and they looked on to the marriage supper of the Lamb until he comes. What's the marriage supper of the Lamb? It's the ultimate expression of the communion. So what we're experiencing now is the prophetic fulfillment of the cross, but it's also prophetic in itself and it's looking to the ultimate fulfillment of the kingdom. We are located in that space. Let's just look briefly at other elements of the passage. In the following directive, says Paul, I have no praise for you. We don't like directives. We feel it's a, a breach of our human rights. No, no, what I think is as good as that. No, it, no, no, it isn't. No, no. 
No, in, in the world of the kingdom of God, there's only one celebrity, there's only one king. Don't enthrone your desires or dress them up in spiritualizations. I'm here to submit to him. And in our relations together, uh, this is spoken uh, in Ephesians about, um, about marriage, but it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, we like this scripture because we feel it's an out. But not, it's not, it's an absolute in. You see, we say, well, oh, I'm prepared to submit to him because uh, uh, he's more spiritual than I am. So I'm, I'm quite prepared to submit to her. Oh, I'm prepared to su submit to her. She's older than I am. Oh, I'm prepared to submit to this person because, oh man, they are so gifted. That's not submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's submitting to one another out of seniority, out of, out of gift, uh, and out of age. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ means that I serve the smallest child and I serve the most disagreeable, naturally, to me, of people. You know, we don't like everybody. You understand that, don't you? Okay? Not, a, not, a, not only are we all different, uh, but uh, the Bible is very realistic and knows that we don't get on, but we're still called on to submit to one another. Not because we like each other, but because we're loved by God. And they are loved by God. And we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is not subjection. Let me show you what subjection means. Um, can I borrow you for a minute? Stand there. <clears throat> what I want you to do is put your foot on my neck there. Right, go on. You, I'm trusting your balance. Put your foot on my neck there. Right, that's it. Okay, that's it. That's what subjection means, uh, and it is, in fact, the root meaning of the word Islam. Okay? <clears throat> that's not submission. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, let's carry on. The first thing that he, he, he notices is that there are divisions among them. That is what we cannot afford. If, as it says in the last verse, for whenever you eat this bread, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. We can't be proclaiming one thing and living another. That is hypocrisy. <clears throat> when you come together, verse 20, it says, it's not the Lord's supper you eat. Now, they were used to getting drunk and, and uh, having massive feasts and all that kind of stuff uh, <clears throat> uh, in, in their pagan ways. And they said, look, what's happened is you brought your pagan behavior back into the church. <clears throat> Out with it. <clears throat> By his spirit, God wants to convict you this morning that if you brought pagan behavior into the church... It needs to go. For as you eat, each one of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. 
No sense of other people. Lord, I'm just here to worship you. Stuff the rest. Bless me. We need to discern the body of Christ. We need to be aware that we are corporately the expression of him on the earth. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Wow. So they're they're guilty of gluttony and drunkenness. Gluttony is an offense to the poor because they don't have. And drunkenness is an offense to the spirit because it's a counterfeit of the real thing. Uh, Ephesians 5.18, it says, uh, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to excess and debauchery, but rather be filled with the Spirit. It's not that he doesn't want you to get drunk. He wants you to get drunk on the right thing. Now, don't, don't think that these things are dissimilar because it's obvious from the day of Pentecost that somebody who's drunk in the Holy Spirit and somebody who's drunk with wine uh, outwardly displays some of the same symptoms. You're everybody's friend for a start. Um, remember on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls and Peter stands up and says, you know, these men are not drunk as you suppose. It isn't opening time yet. Okay? Um, so there are these offenses going on. And why I say about drunkenness, I have to say it. God's prompted me to. Uh, I wouldn't normally pursue this. Uh, but it's a counterfeit. It's a demonic counterfeit. The reality is to be filled with the Spirit and be absolutely transformed and more drunk than you've ever been on anything and yet totally conscious, totally conscious of God and without any negative hangover, in fact, a continuing blessing that pursues you through the following days. The other thing is a counterfeit. People trying to fill up an emptiness with something that isn't the truth. Come everyone that thirsts, and let my soul, uh, says the psalmist, delight itself in the best of food, not to be satisfied with anything else. Notice it says, each one of you does this. As for you, each one of you goes ahead. It's not about the one, it's about everybody. Then Paul says something really significant. He says, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. No, he didn't, he wasn't there. Paul wasn't one of the twelve disciples. And in fact, my study Bible has the word no written under the notes here because it says, I received from the Lord. Paul does not necessarily, excuse me, mean to receive the message about the Lord's Supper directly from Christ. Uh, The information was probably passed on to him by others who'd heard it from Jesus. No, 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 no. He'd received it directly from the Lord because the truth is not by education but by revelation. That's why when Peter in uh, Matthew 16 verse 17 says, you are the Christ, Jesus says to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven, I tell you, you are rocky. 
Petros, and on this rock I will build my church. The rock of the revelation and confession of Jesus is what the church stands on. And it was revelation, not education, that Peter had got. And that's why he was blessed. And the same is true uh, uh, of, uh, of Paul here. Notice something else. Verse 24, And when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, this is my body. I don't want to go into those words because those are going to be picked up, I'm sure, in terms of the challenge that they bring uh, next week. But notice, it is a context of thanks. When he had given thanks. When I give thanks... I've put myself in the perfect position to receive. See? When, uh, when I come with an attitude singing, it's all about me, Jesus, only me. I've positioned myself wrongly. thanks and my hands I'm not bringing my good works and say look what I did for you this week or you know this comes time for a testimony you know how I witnessed to this person in the street and how they were transformed by the wonderful things I said you think oh my goodness <laughs> oh, and, and people come with their, with, with their achievements to wave before the church no 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 no, no, no. I don't bring things in my hand. I come with thankfulness that God can fill me with His Spirit. The table belongs to the Lord. It's not the church's table. The Lord is at the table. The Lord is on the table. We're partaking of Him and we're proclaiming the Lord's death. The cross on the community, the cross in my life until He come. For our blessing and God's glory. Amen.